What an awesome opportunity we have here at Central Baptist Church to be able to carry the name of Jesus to this city and help people come find the change in their life that you have in yours. What a privilege we have today to gather together and worship Jesus, amen, the one who made the difference in my life and your. And if you're here today and you need a difference, I can't stress it to you enough. We'd love to share him with you because some, someday somebody shared him with me. I come to find out that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me and he died for you and every person here. And oh, if you need a difference made in your life today, I promise you, it's through Jesus. Boy, what a wonderful song. Don't think I've ever heard that one before. The choir was on point today, weren't they? Uh, they always do a great job. But my goodness, uh, when I get up here behind the pulpit, boy, they have filled my, my fuel tank up. I'm ready to go. And since we're having lunch after church today, I probably can go to 1230. I don't know. I told my Sunday school class because today is Stewardship Sunday, uh, and uh, we're having lunch for our folks back there in the gym that since you don't have to worry about getting in line at the drive-thru, I can preach as long as I want today. So get snuggled down. Get comfortable uh, get ready, pay close attention. Take your Bibles out. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. If you're visiting with us today, thank you so much for coming. I tried to catch several of you during the handshaking, uh, but I don't always get to you. So if I haven't got to say hello to you yet, catch us in the foyer on the way out. Thank you for coming. Today is a special day here at our church. Uh, it's our annual Stewardship Sunday. And uh, it's where we talk about how good the Lord's been to us and uh, what the Lord wants to do with us through our financial uh, stewardship this year at our church. So I leaned over to Brother AJ and I told Brother AJ, I said, well, I said, if there's somebody visiting today for the first time, uh, you're going to get to walk away from here and say the age-old statement. Uh, every time I've been to that church, he preached on giving after you leave here today because today is our Stewardship Sunday, and uh, I'm excited about it. Look, I don't, I don't run away from giving. I'm thankful. Watch. I'm here today because my father gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. I, look, I'm a recipient of something that someone gave, and there's a lot of people out in our town, around the world, through our missions giving, uh, who are going to be blessed because what we have the privilege to give this year. And uh, I want you to know as we get into this this morning, it's not all about money. Uh, giving is of our time, our resources, our talents, giving of our, uh, our, our efforts and giving of our thoughts to the Lord to be used to the Lord. And I pray the message will help you today whether you're a part of Central or not. Second Corinthians chapter 9, if you're there, I want you to stand if you can. If you can't, just sit down and pay close attention, follow along with us. Second Corinthians chapter number 9. And I do look forward to getting together after the service. We'll have our stewardship banquet for all of our membership back there in the gym and looking forward to going through that with them. And don't forget, there will be no 5 o'clock service tonight. We'll have that over there. So if you show up at 5 tonight, you'll be all alone. And you might think the rapture happened. And uh, if that does help you and you're lost, maybe it'll help you get saved. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9, I don't know. If it'll work, it'll work, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look down if you will, verse 1. For as touching the ministering to the saints... It is superfluous. That's a fun word, isn't it? Superfluous. I practiced it so I didn't get it wrong. For me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not, ye should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. 
Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before you, before unto you, and make up beforehand your bounty whereof ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty, and not as, and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful, cheerful giver. Last verse, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this special day. Father, we focus in, Lord, it's something that we rarely talk about. This matter of giving, and Lord, it's important, Lord, uh, for we as your people must learn this vital place that giving has, Lord, in our ministry, in our service to you, and our growth to you. Lord, not just of our finances, but of our time. Lord, help us, Lord, to give our time this year. Help us, Father, give of our resources, give of our talents that we might serve you. Pray you'd help us today learn a little bit more about giving and our stewardship of that. And bless, Lord, as we seek to honor you in our giving, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> I read a quote a few days ago, and I'm hesitant to give it to you, because it's by Bear Bryant, who you know coached Alabama. You know, and I just, come on, Brother Barry, now, don't quench the spirit. I, you know, I, I can't be disingenuous behind the pulpit, and I can't be partial, so I, I have to give you, because it was a, a good quote. It was either that or one by Nick Saban, and I couldn't go there. I just thought, felt that was a bridge too far. The quote says, it's not the will to win that matters. Everyone has that. It's the will to prepare to win that matters. Now, all of us have a desire to win and to be successful. All of us have a desire to be good at what we do and to accomplish what we set out to accomplish. And that's a great desire to have. But in the end, that will feign, won't it? It'll fade off. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I imagine some of you probably had a New Year's resolution to lose weight, and you have already shot that down the tubes, all right? If you're laughing, you're guilty. We all know now, ha-ha, uh, you've, uh, you've ratted on yourself. You've got to have not only the will to win, but you've got to have the will to prepare to win. I mean, you've got to be willing to put in the work to do what it is you want to accomplish to do, and here I'm also about to give you, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a little bit of a cold. Uh, give you another uh, quote or a story about someone that I'm not the biggest fan of. Uh, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and therefore there is only one goat when it comes to basketball. His name is Michael Jordan. All right, if you don't leave with any other truths today, you're going to leave with that one. That, that the goat in basketball is, in, uh, is Michael Jordan, okay? I know that this past week LeBron James became the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. I understand that. Uh, and he is one of the greatest players, maybe top 10, top 30, but he's definitely not the GOAT, okay? So be sure you get that on the way out. Michael uh, is the GOAT, in my opinion. But I did read an interesting article about LeBron James this week. LeBron James, obviously the leading scorer in NBA history, broke that record this year past Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for that and had a lot of acclaim, a lot of uh, articles written about him. And I read one this week at a Business Insider magazine about LeBron James and what he goes through <clears throat> to keep his body in tip-top shape. Business Insider says they estimate he spends between $1.5 million or more dollars every year just keeping his body in shape. He has two home gyms that are uh, uh, replicas of the, the uh, gyms that he has there with the Lakers. He has one at his home. 
He spent $70,000 to get a cryo chamber, which uses liquid nitrogen to help heal and restore his body to peak performance. He also has a hyperbaric chamber, which puts more oxygen in his body to aid in healing. He uses electrostimulation, um, a machine to flush out toxins and make his muscles contract. He has his own chef that prepares meals that keep his body in peak performance. If that's what it takes to be healthy, I hate to tell you, I'm going to die young of clogged arteries. All right? My wife's a wonderful cook, but I want some grease every once in a while, all right? want some cream in there, and I know that's not good for you, but he said this in the article, and I quote, I've just learned more about my body and how to prepare my body. So my body is going to perform at the highest level. For 20 years, he's performed on a high level. you got to give him that. I mean, averaging what young men are averaging now in the NBA. And he says, the, the way that I got to that outcome is I spend a lot of time preparing my body to accomplish the success that I want. Can I tell you something tonight? I believe that's, or this morning, that's why we as the people of God are not successful in many areas that God would have us be. That we desire to be successful, but we don't take the time to prepare to be successful like we do in our careers. All right, I imagine the career you're in, uh, many of you went to college for that, probably. All right, especially if you're in the medical field, I hope you did. Amen. I had a lady who gave me a shot in my hip yesterday uh, for the cold that I have, and uh, man, she threw it like a dart, you know. Uh, I have to pinch my side so I don't grimace and look like a wimp before her, but... You know, we go to the college to learn how to do the job we want to do successfully. Uh, A lot of our kids are going to go to college. You want them to go to college. Why? You want them to be prepared for the life that they're going to have so they can be successful. Here's my question this morning. I'm going to get into this, have three points for you, and we're going to get through this this morning. How often do we do that in our spiritual matters? You know, we want to be a successful dad. How often do you go to the Word of God to see what the Bible says about how we be a successful dad? Uh, Maybe a successful wife or a spiritual wife or a successful young person. How often do we prepare to be successful in our spiritual life? I mean, I imagine tonight, probably around 9, 9.30, unless you're an Eagles or a Chiefs fan, uh, you're going to be telling your children, hey, go lay out your clothes, go get ready to tuck in. Why? You want them to be ready for the day tomorrow. You don't want to wake up with a grumpy kid, and you want them to go to bed so that they're ready for the day tomorrow. Why? You want them to have a successful day. Success begins with preparation, all right? It doesn't just happen. You have to plan on that. Now, the same thing applies to us spiritually this morning. When you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we don't have time for that. When you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you're going to see that the Apostle Paul is preparing the church at Corinth to give. That's what these two chapters are about. He's preparing them to give. Giving is not something that just happens. You have to be prepared to give. And when you get home, read chapter 8 and chapter 9, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll see he tells them why to give, how to give, when to give, and who to give like. The very pattern of our Christian existence is who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 8, he shows Christ as the example on why and how we're supposed to live. Now, I know what some of you are probably already thinking. Yeah, that's what preachers always preach about is money and giving. I told Brother Timothy in the choir line this morning, I said, you have two groups of preachers, one who don't preach on it enough and some who preach on it too much. You have those guys on television, they're the guys in Titus 1 who do it for filthy lucre's sake. They're doing it for personal gain, not for the prosperity and promotion of the kingdom of Christ. And this morning, we're going to preach on our giving, and it doesn't just apply to our finances. I have to be honest with you. Probably the last two years, I have come to understand this principle better than I ever have in in all of my ministry. 
that when we don't preach on giving and teach on giving, we are denying our Christian family a part, a crucial part of our growth and maturity in Christ. That in order for us to grow in who God wants us to be, there's going to require sacrifice and giving. You say, give me scripture, Luke 9. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That is giving, is it not? Giving up of myself, my plans, my ambitions for the cause of Christ and to follow Christ. I believe there's no way this morning to teach a Christian how to live without teaching them how to give. There's no way that you can learn how to live as a Christian until you learn how to give as a Christian. Now listen, we're not just talking finances. Some of you have probably already turned your hearing aids off. Oh, thought you're preaching on giving. No, can I tell you, giving is not an obligation, it's an opportunity. That we have to serve God through our giving. This is something I've even been learning a lot about in my walk with God even now, 27 years into the ministry. So let's get to the scripture if we could. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 9, I noticed something. Now, here's what's amazing. I was laying in bed last night, told my wife. I knew that 2 Corinthians 9 is where the Lord wanted us to go. Now, you know that's where the burden is at. You're just not sure what the message is yet. So you get in and you start un, un, unraveling what the message is so you'll be ready to preach. And I want you to see something in verse 2. For I know the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you. To them of Macedonia, that Achaia, watch this, was what? Ready. A year ago. Now what are they getting ready to do? They're getting ready to give. Watch verse 3. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain, in this behalf that as I said, ye may be ready. Now watch what God's doing here. Watch verse 4. Let's happily if they in Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared. What is unprepared? It's not ready. One more time. Look down at verse 5. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready. Here's Paul devoting two chapters of the word of God to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God to get them ready to give. Could it be this morning the reason we're not good at giving and not successful at giving is because we don't take the time to get ready to give. He told them in four times in one chapter, in just about five verses, this importance of being ready. And I believe this morning, listen, if we would get ourselves ready to serve God through our giving of our time, our resources, our efforts, our sacrifice, I believe we'd see God do more with this church. We would be more of a successful church if we gave the way God would have us to give. And I believe the reason we're not good at it is because we don't get ready to be good at it. Do you know why you're good at your job if you are? I promise you, you got ready to be good. You're good at those recipes you cook. Do you know why? Because you practiced at getting ready at that. You worked at it. Now, folks, we're going to become successful as a church when we learn how to get ready to give. Now, folks, look, obviously tithing's in there. That's a basic for in the, the Christian walk. One of our deacons in our budget meeting the other night says, you know, tithing's 10%. If everybody just tithed 5%, we'd have more resources to do the work of God than we have now. Just half. But oftentimes we're not ready to give as we should give. Now, the truth of the matter is this. If we all gave of our time the way that we should, we'd see more people saved. If we all gave of our talents, we'd never have a lack for a teacher in Sunday school. If we all gave of our time, we'd have more opportunity to go out and knock a door and invite someone to church. So let's learn how to give this morning. Could we do that 
Could you stick with me a little while this morning? Let's talk about a subject we don't like talking about, but this is vital in the Christian life. For God so loved that he gave, and for our love for him, we're going to give too. Amen? And this is going to set the stage for our stewardship banquet, if we could. Let's look at this subject today of being ready to give. Being ready to give. Our theme is being ready this year. How do we get ready to give? Well, I'm going to show you three quick, simple steps, okay? If you'll stick with me, even after I go past 12, I'll give you a hamburger steak, okay? Give you a hamburger steak. That's what's for lunch today. I want you to look down to verse number 7. It shows us where giving begins. If you want to be a successful giver to the work of God, whether your time or your resources, it begins in verse 7. you got to see this, okay? Whether you're good at giving or bad, I want you to see it starts in verse 7, where the Bible says, every man according as he, has, he, he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Giving is a huge part of our spiritual growth. A lot of folks never get it. The reason they don't get it is because they don't understand the process of it. And this morning, that's the first thing I want you to see. If we're going to be ready to give, we've got to understand the process of giving, all right? That's number one today. I want to show you where the process begins. Giving does not begin with our wallet. Giving doesn't begin with our time. Giving begins, what verse 7 says, in the heart. That's where you've got to learn to start at. Man, if we're sitting back here and I don't have my wallet on me today, I hide it because I never know one of these guys up here are going to try to steal it while I'm preaching, uh, you know. <clears throat> so I left my wallet in the, in the office this morning. But we think, man, i got to get my wallet out and i got to give. No, no. If you think that's where giving begins, oh, you got it all wrong. No wonder you hate doing it. Giving begins in verse number 7. The Bible says, according as he purposeth in his heart. That's where giving, the process of giving, has to begin in your heart. That's why the Bible says he loves a cheerful giver. I'll give you an example. Uh, I like bread. I like bread too much. Uh, my wife's been telling me about this keto thing that people do, and uh, it sounds like torture to me. I really do. I, I think they got that from those folks over in the Middle East that torture people. The keto diet, I think that's where that came from. No bread, no pasta, no sugars. Good night. Who would want to live in that world? I need to live in that world a little while. And I love bread. I love eating bread. Uh, recently, uh, Miss Angel Simmons has turned me on to the uh, sourdough bread. Man, she makes the best sourdough bread. She'll sell you a loaf for $25 if you want one. Amen, Miss Angel. Kick me in on the profits there, and I'll be glad to promote it for you. I've made bread a few times. Basic ingredients, flour, salt, water, and yeast. Right ingredients, correct? Would that get you a fair bread? Flour, water, salt, and yeast. Now, you think about this this morning. I take the flour, the salt, the water, and the yeast. I put it in a bowl, and I stir it up, and then I pour it into a pan, and I put it in the oven and bake it. It's going to come out like you think it's going to come out. It's going to come out this doughy, dense blob of nastiness, okay? That's what, it'll be better than a keto diet, but it's still going to be nasty, okay? Why? Because just because you have the ingredients doesn't mean you can ignore the process. The process is you stir those little yeastes in there, all right? Is that, is that a plural word, yeastes? It is now, all right? You heard it from here, yeastes, okay? You stir those little yeastes in there. Have you ever studied yeast? I have. We're going to keep it between the ditches this morning. But those little yeastes get in there, and they start eating the sugars that are in the bread. And as they eat those sugars, and I'm going to keep it between the ditches this morning, all right? They start burping and causing the bread to expand. Google it when you get home, and they'll, they'll help you understand that a little bit better. And those yeast is, think about it, every time you eat bread, you're eating yeast burp. That's what you're eating. Yeah, 
That'll help you get on a keto diet right there. <laughs> Going keto, no bread, don't want to eat that in my life. And they go in and they eat the sugars and they burp out these gases that make it expand. And once it gets expanded far enough, well, now the process is ready to go into the oven. You see, just because you have the ingredients don't mean you can ignore the process. We know the ingredients of giving, don't we? All right, I need to give him of my resources, my time, my heart. God wants me to give him that. But there's a process. And the process that we must follow is to realize that giving begins in our heart. Watch what it says in verse 7. It says, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. 1 Corinthians 13, you know what Paul said? Paul says, I could give my body to be burned. And if I don't have charity, it profiteth me nothing. What does he say? He says, if my heart is not right, I can give and I can give and I can give. But if my heart is not right, it profiteth me nothing. Can I tell you what a shame it would be not to understand the process of giving. Paul says, it doesn't profit me anything. Now, in order to problem solve our giving, we literally have to go to the heart of the matter. Look, if I have a giving problem, and I have in my life, I've had giving problems before. I told my class this morning, we started our church, I made $300 a week, um, which with a wife and children and health insurance, that's not a lot of money. And man, I didn't want, want to give more to missions or give more to our building fund. We bought property. And we want to, I didn't want to give more. Why? Because I'm like, God, I don't have a whole lot. Do you know what I had to change? Not my financial situation. I had to change my heart. Because the process of giving begins in the heart. Exodus 35, 5, when they were getting ready to build the tabernacle, he says this, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it an offering to the Lord. You see, if we're giving from the heart, that's that cheerful giver. That's not only pleasing the Lord, but that's the one that is being profitable in their giving. I don't know about you, I want my giving to be profitable. A couple of weeks ago in our Bible reading, I was reading through Exodus. And I love reading through Exodus. I love the, the account of the, the Exodus coming out of Egypt. It's hard for me not to see Charlton Heston. I'm just being honest with you. If Moses doesn't look like Charlton Heston, I'll be like, who are you? You're not, when we get to heaven, you're not him. No, he's an imposter. No. When you're reading through the book of Exodus, you're going to find a phrase mentioned 15 times about Pharaoh specifically. The Bible says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. His heart was hardened. Well, the Lord just showed me something in my heart the other day as I read this, preparing for this message. What was God trying to get Pharaoh to do? You ready? Let go of something. Let go of something. Pharaoh, give them up. Give them up. The Bible says the reason he wasn't giving up like he should and letting go like he should was simply because his heart was hardened. You see, your heart affects your giving. Pharaoh did not want to let go of the children of Israel because his heart was hardened. Do you know why I don't want to let go oftentimes of what God wants me to give? I have a heart problem. Giving begins in the heart. Can I tell you, hear me out this morning, any area of your heart that harbors unwillingness toward God will soon become hardened. Any area of your heart that God says, I want you to give me that, that you have an unwillingness to be obedient to God to, can I tell you what that, that space in your heart is going to become? It's going to become hardened. Give me an example outside of money for a second. That way we can quit sweating, okay? If you have bitterness in your heart, and God says, give it up, let it go, Pharaoh, let it go, and you're like, no, 
They did me wrong. They hurt my feelings. They did my family wrong. Worst case scenario, they talked about my kid. (laughs) You got to give that bitterness up. And you say, no, I don't want to let that go. No, God, I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to hold on to that. That space in your heart becomes hardened. That's what happens when we don't give up whatever it is that God says he would have us to give. God wants you to give more time. Hey, I want you to give up a Saturday a month to go invite people to church and tell them about Christ. No, God, that's my Saturday. That area of your heart is going to become hardened. And you look at Pharaoh. What happened to Pharaoh? Well, Pharaoh found out that when you get hard, God has to break you. And ultimately, God did break Pharaoh. Kind of reminds me when I was a kid. You remember... The old wives' tale was if you snapping turtle bites you on the hand that they would not let go until it thundered. Anybody ever prove that? Okay, man, we had a smart congregation. I just knew half of you were going to raise your hand like, yeah. Stuck my hand down his throat. And they said if he bites you, he's going to hang on until it thunders. And he's not going to let go until it thunders. Sometimes we are Christian snapping turtles. We don't want to let go until God thunders. God says, let go of your bitterness, let go of your pride, let go of some of that time, let go of some of that resources, and we're like, no, God, I'm not going to let go, and then God sends the lightning and thunder to our life, and finally we let go. Why? The problem was we had a heart problem. The reason we don't give as we should, every man, verse 7, according as he purposeth in his heart. What does it mean to let go of it? I love this. Oh, I love verse 7. Watch this. Every man, according as he what? purposeth in his heart. Giving begins in the heart. Watch this. It begins in the heart. When you let go of whatever it is God wants, your time, your bitterness, whatever it is, you let go and allow God to use it for his purpose. That's what letting go means. You see that when I give financially or I give of my time or I give of myself, watch this, I'm letting go in my heart to what God wanted. Why? Because he wants to use it for his purpose. And when I let go of it, I promise you, God can do more with it than I can. So I got to start in my heart. Give an example. Genesis 22, Abraham, take your only son and give him to me. Sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Why was he giving him? He was sacrificing him to the Lord. Now, obviously, he didn't do it. I was reading just last night about Esther. Do you know what Esther was wrestling with? Giving God control. I mean, she's sitting here. She knows she can go into the king. She knows she can do what God wants her to do. But she says, God, I might die. Are you asking me to give my life? He says, yes, I'm asking you to. That's when Mordecai comes to her and says that you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know what that is? That's purpose. Esther, you got to let go. Why? Because I want to use it for my purpose. And that's where we have a rub with God. And we look at our wallet, we're thinking, hey, there's only $20 in there, but I'd love to use that $20, you know, to buy some new fishing lures. Or, hey, God, I've got plans for that $20. And, hey, nothing wrong with using what you got and spending it. God blesses you with it. Use it for his honor and his glory. But if God says, hey, I want you to give up that and let that go, can I tell you this morning the best thing you can do is let God have it. If God wants a Saturday of you knocking doors, give him that Saturday. Why? He's going to use it for his purpose. Charles Spurgeon said this in a sermon he preached called The Giving Heart. The heart does not receive blood to store it up. While it pumps blood through one valve, it sends it out in another. The blood is always circulating everywhere and it's never stagnant. 
That's the kind of heart we have to have. A giving heart that when God blesses us, we make sure we send it along our way. I'm thankful we have over 150 missionaries that our church supports. What a blessing that God pumps resources in and we give and we pump them out to make sure the gospel gets around the world. I don't think you can follow the example of Christ any closer. And we give of ourselves and sacrifice in order that others could hear about the good news of the gospel. So what was he doing in 2 Corinthians 9? He's teaching them. And preparing them to be ready to give. He says, look, you need to understand the process. It begins in the heart. I want you to think about what money does for you. I want you to think about what money does for you and what it does for me. Does money give us security? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's like the toilet paper when COVID broke out. You had a stash of it, man. You was living living large. Man, you like, I don't know about you guys, uh, but I got, you know, the 37-pack the of Charmin there in my closet. You're like, hey, I, I got security. I got enough of it. Money gives us security, correct? Money gives us peace. Does me. If I got money in the bank, I have more peace. If I got wire showing on my tires, and buddy, I've been there a few times in my ministry. You got wire showing? I got money in the bank. Hey, I got peace. Why? Because I got the money to take care of it. So watch what happens all of a sudden. Money gives me uh, security, and it gives me comfort. It gives me pleasure. It gives me peace. And God says, okay, I want you to give me that. And you trust me for your security, your pleasure, and your peace. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. God, I got it in the bank. God says, I want you to have it in faith. That you trust me that that when I ask you to give, that I'm going to take care of the backside. And we're going to look at that here in just a few minutes. Number one this morning. How do we get ready to give? Understand the process. It begins in the heart. Look, if we're having a, a problem this morning, which oftentimes I do when we talk about this subject, can I tell you, it means we got to realize there's something going on in here that needs to change. But then watch closely. We're going to hurry. If you would, look over to verse number, I'll tell you what, look over to verse number six. Look at verse number six. The Bible says every man... Uh, Verse 6, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now, as we read that verse, I want you to notice it begins in the heart. You're probably thinking this morning, I didn't know that getting saved came with a vow of poverty. It does not. Can I tell you, giving is not the end of our opportunities. Giving is the beginning of our opportunities. I mean that. Giving is just the beginning. Giving of ourselves, our time, and our resources, okay? That's where things really, really begin. Now, notice the second part of this that gets us ready to give. Number two, we see in verse six, notice the prospect. Understand the prospect of giving. Verse six shows us that when we give with a willing heart, it isn't the end of something. It's an investment in something. All right? So, garden time's coming up. Some of you guys got there and plant a garden and uh, get your peas and your corn and your tomatoes and all that stuff here very soon. And you take that seed and you put that seed into the ground. You're not like, well, there goes nothing. No, you put that in the ground because you're thinking, okay, that is going to become something later. That's not the end of the seed. That's just the beginning of what God is going to do through that wonderful process in nature producing fruit. Now, this is what he tells us spiritually. Giving to God is not the end of something. It's really an investment in something. And God says, here's the prospects of what our giving should do. He says, we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. Can I ask you a question? Did I write this book? No. Whose word is this? This is the word of God. You say, well, I'm not sure if I believe that. Well, I believe it because God wrote it. 
I don't have to like it to believe it, but he says here, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall also reap also bountifully. What does that mean? That means when I give to God, it's not squandered. A life given to God is not ended. A life given to God is invested. And watch this. Not only is it invested in this life, it's invested in the life to come. That's when those dividends start coming in. We've had several funerals here lately for some of our faithful folks who've worked in ministries all throughout uh, the years, even a long time before I came to Central. What a blessing it was to stand there and and try to comfort their families with the knowledge of the fact that, that all of their labor was not in vain. That all the time they sowed in the hearts of our young people, our young ladies and different ministries in the sunshine ministry, that was not lost. That was invested. When they drew their last breath and they go to be in the presence of Jesus, they're at the place where they begin receiving the dividends of what they had sown in this life. Now understand the prospects this morning. Malachi 3.10, you knew this one was coming. Bring all, ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Watch this. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. You're thinking, well, you know, I know it says that, but I don't believe it. All right, God says, prove me. Prove me. I get, I get in discussions with people about tithing from time to time, and boy, it's a, it's a topic I tiptoe around, man. I just, ooh, I don't like addressing it, but it's in the Word of God. We've got to preach the whole counsel of God, and it includes that. I talk to people who don't believe in tithing, and I just tell them, hey, even if you don't believe in it, y'all try it. <laughs> I've never met a person who proved God wrong. Never. I've been doing this a little while. Never met a person. I tried that tithing thing. It just didn't work. If you say it didn't work, you're saying that God lied. Hey, it works. Why? Because God honors his word. Now, it seems like that when we give, the prospects are pretty good, right? Now, what helps us give starts in our heart. Now we look forward out of our heart, and we see the prospects of our giving are really, really good. I'll give you an example. Several years ago, we were at uh, Animal Kingdom in Orlando, and they had this bird show called Flights of Wonder. Leslie wanted to go, Mighty wanted to go, so we went in there, and we sat down, and they had these huge birds. I'm talking about, I don't know if you realize how big an eagle is. Uh, I was visiting with the Ellis's in their home the other day, and I have a beautiful collection of, of eagle statues. And we're talking about how large those eagles are uh, when you see them up close. And they had eagles, they have condors. What an ugly bird. Being an eagle, not a condor, you know. There's just ugly birds. And they would have one of the condors fly off of a perch. And somebody in the audience, if you held up a dollar bill, he would fly by, take it with his mouth, and fly back to the stand. All right? I'm thinking about, hey, that'd be great ushers. You think about that? Get some condor stands up here. I bet you'd be more serious about your giving then. You got this ball-headed bird flying at you. He's like, okay, okay. Honey, you give the offering today. I remember looking in my wallet. You know, you go to Disney, you got to load up, man. Looking in my wallet, all I had was 20s and 100s. And I was like, I wanted to volunteer. I'm like, what if that bird chokes on it? What if he doesn't bring it back? You know, because the whole thing is he's going to fly off, he's going to bring it back. And so I didn't volunteer. I'm like, no, no, thank I don't have any ones. Man, I couldn't help but think about that when we pass the offering plate sometimes. They're like, man, I don't have any, oh, I got 20s and 100s. You know, I'd give up a one. I'd risk a one for the condor to come get it, but I'm not going to risk a 20. Folks, can I tell you that when we invest in the will of God through our giving, not just our finances, but we give our time and our resources, we give of our heart, can I tell you, you have invested it in something with good prospects. According to the word of God, the Bible uses that word bountifully. Think about it this way. 
Moses is, is debating with God on whether or not he should go and be the deliverer of, of, of Israel. What did God ask him? What do you have in your hand? He says, I got this stick. You, you know Moses from the south. He carried a stick around with him. Moses probably grew up on the wrong side of town, you know. Dogs running around. You got to have a stick. God says, Moses, take your stick. Throw it down. Throw it down. What happened? It became a snake. You see, he just took what he had and he did what God said do with it, and God did something with it that Moses couldn't do with it. It's amazing. You read your Bible, the book of Exodus, look at how many times Moses uses that stick. There's a Red Sea. He's holding up his rod. Moses is holding it up at the battle when, uh, when the battle was winning. He's there holding up. There's that stick again. And this morning, look, you and I may not have as much to give as others, but can I tell you, in God's hands, it's way more than what we have to offer. God says, I, I want the stick. Hey, give me the stick. Let me use the stick for my glory. There was a boy with five loaves and two fishes. Not a very good prospect, right? And he gave it to God. And what did God do with it? God blessed it. Mark 12, we read about the woman with the two mites. Amazing. The Bible says that she gave all of her giving. My heart was so convicted last night. I was reading through the scriptures preparing for this morning. When I read those words, all her living. Now look. Do not leave here and lie about me and say, I told you to give all of your living today. Okay? I'm not. But the fact that she only had two mites left and she trusted God more with it than she trusted herself with it. She said, you know what? It's better in God's hands than it is mine. Can I tell you, folks, every time I've given God what he's wanted, whether it was my time at 15 years old when God called me to preach and I gave him my plans, I've never regretted that. Folks, whatever God wants you to give this morning, I promise you, look, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the prospects of giving of whatever it is God wants and watching God do with it far beyond what you could do with it. Number two, the prospects of giving. Understand, in order to be ready to give, you've got to understand the pros prospects. I thought about Adam last night. When God told Adam, you're, you're not good by yourself, and it's not good that you be alone. And every man says, amen, amen. She is definitely my better three quarters. He says, Adam, it's not good that you be alone, son, and I'm going to make you a helpmeet. Now, look, hypothetical conversation, okay? You're thinking, what version is he reading out of? No, no, hypothetical, okay, hypothetical. Could I just pretend at how it may have gone down? Adam, I want to make you a helpmeet. Adam says, okay, Lord, but it's going to cost you a rib. Hmm, not sure about that. God says, trust me. Give me the rib. The prospects will look a whole lot better when I'm done. You know, a lot of times we hold on to that rib, don't we? And we miss out on our ETH. The helpmeet of what God desired for us. Why? Because I want to keep my rib. Can I tell you? I don't I, I gave five ribs for my wife. I got a good one. Amen. What do we have to do? Understand the prospects of giving. Prospects are very, very simple. This year in our church, we'll go over our budget here in just a few minutes back in the back after we eat lunch. And I look around at what we have already on our property, paid for property. And there's a, a stone set out in the corner, kind of a cornerstone when this building was dedicated. And I'm so thankful for the people who came before us, who invested, and who gave, because the prospects are wonderful. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful Hattiesburg has this church. 
If you're in this church, and boy, this church has been a blessing to you, can I tell you why we have this? Because somebody was willing to give because the prospects of giving were bright. Now, we can't just be hoarders and consumers of all that's been given before us. You know, at some point, we've got to start investing in what God has given us in order that the future of those who come behind us can have something that is a wonderful prospect as well. So how do we give? We've got to be ready to give. Let's understand the prospects. God says, verse 6, prospects are good if you give. The prospects not so good if you don't. And finally, I want to give you my favorite part. I have never preached what I'm about to tell you out of this context this way. Just a beautiful, beautiful picture. Perhaps our greatest hesitation when we give is we wonder, okay, if I give to the Lord of my time, what am I going to have time to do what I want to do? And if I give to the Lord of my resources, well, how am I going to be able to do this and that and the other? And sometimes we come up with the excuse, and I think I've probably used it many times in my life, I can't afford to be obedient. Can we all agree that there are times we wonder that? Can I afford to be obedient to the will of God? Can I afford to give him a Saturday? I use that Saturday as my rest day. Can I be a, I don't know what he's asking you to give. I honestly don't, and I don't need to know. But whatever it is, we ask ourselves, can I afford to do that? Because in order to give God this, I'm going to have to take it from this. I'm glad you asked that question. It's a very logical and a very numerically sound question. Look at verse 8. Paul's getting them ready to give, and he gives them verse 8 to help bring it all home. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Paul says there's one more thing you need to understand. In order to be ready to give, you need to understand the promise. You need to understand the promise. Now here's what I want you to see. Boy, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture. He says in verse number 8, he says when you give... God is able to make all what? Grace. Do not overlook that word. You know, I love preaching about grace. I preached an entire uh, series on grace uh, right when I came here not many uh, years ago. My favorite illustration of grace is spray foam insulation. You have a void. You spray that stuff in, and it grows like the blob. I'll be honest with you. I've played with that so many times. I've probably misused it more than I have used it. It's just fun to play with that stuff, you know? You spray it, and whatever void you spray it in, it fills it up. So watch this, watch this. If I give to God whatever God wants, more time, maybe God wants your talents. Maybe you need to be in the choir singing, and God says, I want you to give your talents. Well, if I give that, it means I'm going to have to show up early for choir practice. Yeah, you want to be good at it, we need to practice. Hey, they practice. Amen. It sounded great this morning. But God, if, if you want me to sing in the choir, if I want to give you that, I'm going to have to give up one extra hour in the recliner, and that's when Columbo comes on. Number one, it's a rerun. He's always going to have one more thing. Always. Some of the older guys, you got it. Some of the other guys are like, what? I don't get it. So watch this. So God, if I give you that time, now I have a gap. I have a void. God says, I'll fill it with grace. I'll fill it with grace. Watch this. Maybe God wants your bitterness this morning. Maybe you're mad at somebody, and man, you want to TP their yard tomorrow. Somebody gave you a bad look this morning, or somebody didn't shake your hand, and you are mad, and you got bitterness in your heart, and you're holding on to it. Watch. God says, give it up. Mm, no. 
you don't know. They're a Chiefs fan. So Zacchaeus, by the way, just letting you know. But John's an Eagles fan, you know. I'm going to try to get out of here without any fights today. No, I'm not going to give it up. I'm going to hold on to that because I'm mad. Number one, your heart's getting hardened. Number two, as long as that bitterness is in there, grace cannot fill that void. But you give it up to God. God, I'm giving you my bitterness. God, I'm giving you my time. And now, God, I've given you everything. I'm empty. And you're ready to be filled with grace. That's why he said, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. You say, what does that mean? There have been times in my life, somebody come up and they'll shake your hand, put a $20 bill in your hand. I told my Sunday school class this last week. And you're thinking, extra money. That does not exist. I've learned, my wife and I have learned in our marriage, if God blesses you with something extra, hang on to it and try to figure out what he wants done with it. Next thing you know, you meet a family who doesn't have gas money to get to church on Sunday night. God says, that, there they are. That's why I get, but God, 20 bucks would get me two slices of pizza at Fat Boys. And you're like, if I give you that, I don't have it anymore. I mean, this is simple mathematics here, Lord. If I give you what you want, then I don't have it anymore. But God says, whatever it is that I wanted that you gave, I replace it with something better. And it's called grace. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of grace in my life. Amazing truth, when we let go, God takes it, uses it for others. You're like, well, hope they enjoyed Fat Boys tonight. He uses it for others, and he replaces it with grace. What is grace? Grace makes up whatever the difference is. That's what grace does. I've never gone hungry, been in ministry 27 years, almost 28, never gone hungry, never really missed a meal, never had to sleep without electricity, had air conditioning. You say, well, this, no, can I tell you what that is? That's just called grace. It's called grace. God honors his word that when we let go of whatever he says give, and money is such a small part of it, we're talking about time, talents, whatever it is. God takes it, now there's a void. You're like, well, there's something missing in my life. God says, hang on. I'm about to fill that void with something way better than whatever you let go. And it's called grace. What does Satan say? I'll give you this and we're going to close. When you give it to God, it's going to leave you with a void in your life. If you give God more time, you're not going to have time for yourself. You give God more of your talents, you're not going to have time to do what you want. You give God more of your resources, you're not going to have the money to do what you want. And that is only half true. Because he doesn't tell you what God replaced us with. It. Last example, 2 Corinthians 12. We preach about this a lot, but I want you to think about it in the context of giving. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for thee. When my strength is made, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now I want you to let that sink in before we close. We want to be strong. We want to be filled. We want to have everything that we need. In God's eyes, that comes from being empty. Because he fills us with the grace that helps us be sufficient for anything that we need. You notice what he said there in that last part? He says, all sufficiency and everything. I'll make you a promise today. 
that whatever it is that God requires you to give or calls upon you to give, I promise you, he'll make sure you have the sufficiency in all things for every good work. Central Baptist Church, we're going into a new year together, a new financial year. There's financial struggles around the world and inflation, giving's down nationally, about 8.5% nationally in churches all over the country. You're thinking, well, we're not going to be able to do all the things we want to do. You know, my Bible says that when we give as we're supposed to give, we will have all sufficiency in all things for every good work. And I just believe it. I just believe it. The question is this morning, are we living off of God's economy or ours? Because in the end, watch, there's a process to giving where God says, okay, it begins in the heart. God says, whatever it is in your heart, I put my finger on. God says, I want you to give. That's the process. And God says, okay, the prospects of that is you look over here and I promise, he says, I'll take care of the reaping bountifully. That's not my problem. That's God's problem. He has to take care of that. And boy, he does a great job with that. And he says, I sealed it with a promise. And that promise is, I will make sure that as you give, as I tell you to give, that you'll have all sufficiency in all things to every good work. Folks, I honestly believe tonight that we need to all work better in learning and being ready to give. My heart's ready. My faith's looking forward. And I'm going to trust him to do what only he could do. Now, this morning, that's for the say, that's for our people at Central. If you're visiting here today, I am not preaching giving to you. But great principles and truths in that. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ. Can I tell you, there's a great gift waiting for you that God gave. It's called salvation. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The Bible says that he didn't just give it for me and for you and for folks in church. He gave it for the whole world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Could we flip the script for one minute? Let's not talk about giving. Let's talk about receiving. Have you received the gift of what God's given? If you died right now, are you 100% certain that you're going to heaven? What a shame it would be for God to give so much and for you to live in doubt. In just a moment, our pianist is going to come. They can make their way down, and our song leader is going to prepare. We're going to have folks standing right here down front. If you've yet to receive that gift, I want you to make your way down here. They'll take the word of God and share with you the free gift of salvation. If you're saved here today, can I ask you something? Don't shake your head. Don't nod. Don't raise your hand. Don't say anything. Is God calling you to give more of ourself, more of our heart, more of our time, more of our resources? I promise you, when we give to God, it's in good hands. It's in good hands. And then we get to see what only God could do through Central Baptist Church. Let's stand together this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.